This is episode number 63 with Dr. Kristen Kale. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy you're joining me today. And if you are new to the show, I just want to welcome you. And I do hope that you enjoy the stories of the entrepreneurial women, as well as the tips from the expert guests that come on. So joining us today is Dr. Kristen Kale, who has founded and successfully sold three businesses for well over seven figures. I met Kristen at an event that she hosted for Women of Entrepreneurs Organization. And Kristen had invited me to speak on self-care, where I discussed the importance of tending to mind, body, and spirit. And I'm thinking about doing a solo cast on that because I do believe that it's essential for happiness and success in life. But talking to Kristen, I learned that we both shared a passion for elevating women. And one of the things that she does in entrepreneurs organization is she helps take entrepreneurs who are at 250 or above and get them to seven figures. Now, one stat to be aware of is that of all businesses owned by women, only 2% hit seven figures or above. So I thought it would be great to get Kristen to come on the show and share what she teaches those female entrepreneurs, you know, the mindset, the strategies. And the truth is, whether you are in-house thinking about starting a business or our early stage, we cover a lot today that will be useful because we talk about how to manage employees, to delegate and elevate the value of community for women, uh, mentorship, um, knowing your strengths and weaknesses and how that comes into play as you're scaling your company. So wherever you are on the journey, including as a stay-at-home mom, because Kristen shares the important core values that her parents taught around time management and organization that really helped foster her success as an adult. So, so many great tips and Kristen is relatable and funny and I know you're going to enjoy today's conversation. So let's get into the show. Hey, Kristen, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Michelle. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you, Kristen. I just am so intrigued by your passion for helping to help other women rise, which you don't always see in the marketplace. Um, But before we get into all of that, I'd love it if we could just kick it off by getting into your story. You're a serial entrepreneur and take us back. How did you get started in this, this world of entrepreneurship? Well, I love that you describe me as unique because I think you have to be unique in order to be a business owner and you have to be able to take all the wax that you get every single day. So uh, I think I started like most people uh, who who really, you know, started their careers and looked at their careers and thought, what am I going to do when I get older? And my first company I started when I was in my 20s. I won't talk about some of my other um, companies that I had before then, because it really wasn't really truly businesses until I was in my 20s. Yeah. But I spent really my 20s working in an industry that was mainly focused on men. I think I was the only person in 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 my industry that was a woman that was in sales that enjoyed that. And again, not to date me, but it was the early nineties. Right. And so we were coming off of the shoulder pads and the bad hair. And I had all of that as well as the horrible (laughs) nylons. So let's just really go with, I had the Nicole Kidman giant red, big giant Afro and uh, was trying to be in an industry that was catered to men. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't have a mentor. I couldn't really put my finger on somebody that would help me with my career or help me grow in my career. 
And so anywhere that I turned around, I was asking questions of men and men and women do things totally different. Mm -hmm. So um, my first my first career, my first job was really in the financial services and employee benefit arena. And um, I did a lot of things wrong. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so what I really focused my next career path on is really helping women do things right. And so if I can teach them one thing that I did wrong or a hundred things that I did wrong, including wearing some awful shoulder pads and really bad hair and really bad makeup, then I can at least tell them about how to succeed in their businesses. So one company in my 20s, one company in my 30s, this is my final company in my 40s, and now I'm going to go on in my 50s and do something different. I don't know what that looks like yet, but um, I, I know that I'm I'm here to help other women um, in their trajectories of their businesses and really help them be the mirror that I didn't have. Yeah. And you're so great at that. This is what I want to talk to you about today, but let's go back. Were you an entrepreneurial kid too then? Was this just in your blood? Well, it's interesting that you asked that because my father owned his own business and my mother was a traditional, uh, mother and mm-hmm. CEO, CEO of our family, as mm-hmm. I like to call CEO back in the day, our chief emotional officer mm-hmm. of our family. And so I have two older brothers and interesting, if I look at all three of us now, me and my two brothers, every single one of us owns our own business. Mm-hmm. So it either means that we made horrible employees or that we made really good bosses. I'm not sure which one it really boils down to yet. But but all of us own our own businesses. And I think we got that bug early on when my parents required us to have some kind of contribution to the household. Mm. So either either financial contribution or skill contribution. And so I was a college athlete and a high school athlete. And it's really challenging to hold a job and to make grades and to be an athlete and do all of that. So my parents uh, really said, okay, great. You can't get a job and we understand why you can't get a job, but these are the contributions you have to make to the household. Mm. So I always had chores or I always had things that I had to do in the household and my parents didn't let us slide on any of those things. Mm. So I think when I look back at my childhood, it was always about making a contribution. May not have been financially, but it may have been some other type of contribution. I love that so much. That's actually a great lesson for us all to hear. And in those of us who are moms too, who've got kids, you know, this idea of chores. And um, there was, I think, a Harvard study that said for successful kids, you want to give them two things, give give them chores and love. <laughs> so I yeah. think that's what your parents did. So it's great. Um, Kristen, you got your doctorate in healthcare reform and you read <laughs> I did. the healthcare Act, which was what, 4,000 pages? Like, just take us into your mindset. What, how did you end up going in that direction? Like, how did you pick healthcare reform? Well, Michelle, I wanted to be the life of every party, and who doesn't want to talk about healthcare reform? <laughs> so I chose a topic that was, you know, so politically biased and so hot and heavy when it first came out that everybody wanted to talk about healthcare. Now, Stepping back to why I wanted to talk about healthcare was my careers in the past really centered around HR, human resources, mm. and compliance, as well as employee benefits. So that's really where my career centered around. And when healthcare reform was a buzz, everybody was talking about something called this individual mandate. But nobody was talking about how most employees and Americans receive their health insurance, and that is through their employer. So I decided, as one does on a weekend, to print all of that off and read it over the weekend, all 4,000 pages. No, you did that on a weekend? (laughs) I did. Oh, my God. And I may have to tell you that there was multiple bottles of wine involved. (laughs) So I'm here to say I did probably not do that sober, but it was really good with wine. And I don't discriminate against my wine. So it was probably bubbles and a little bit of Chardonnay and a little bit of white and a little bit of red. And then I probably moved into a port of some sort. And then I finished it off with probably a Zambuca. But needless to say, I decided to read it because I wanted to understand how it was going to affect my clients. And what I really understood was how it was going to affect employers. And nobody really started talking about that. So not only did I read it once, but I read it two more times. So a total of three times. 
And then I wrote my dissertation on all the compliance complexities that employers need to understand under the Affordable Care Act, which again, why it makes me the life of every party, because I can certainly talk about all the compliance complexities at a party setting. You are hilarious. Well, now people know why I described you as unique. Now, but Kristen, did you get your PhD while you were running your company? Yeah. So I was dumb and started my company the same year I started my PhD program. So, um, yeah, it was uh, a little bit of um, really fun stuff that happened. I, um, in order to start this business, which is Navigate HCR, which is my my last, hopefully, and final company, mm. and it's a software company of HR, and I have no software background, which is another conversation for sure, mm. but I started this after I cashed out everything that I possibly could own. So I um, sold a car, I sold clothes, I sold, um, cashed out my 401k, I cashed out everything that I had stock-wise, and I started the company with about $300,000 ready to go in the bank. What? And... Um, that's how I started my company. Wait, wait this was your third track. one though. So you, did you, did you do this because you felt confident enough that you could make it go? Like what's the mindset there? Yeah, I, I didn't know how to do anything else but jump off a cliff. Okay. So for my other two companies, I did the same thing. And did you sell I knew those? that I could, I, I knew that I could start them. Yeah. I knew I could find money to start them. Yeah. And I knew that I could ult- ultimately sell them. And you did. So this company, yeah, and I did. And this okay. company was a little bit different because I started it as a service-based company and then transitioned to software within about a year. Well, anybody who's ever done software, it's very expensive to start from scratch and create your own software product, which is what we've done. So I started it with $300,000 and um, I've sold it for way over seven figures and within a five-year period, which has been really fun to see the growth of the company uh, from, you know, year one to, you know, almost year five, which is where we're at. And also to see that, you know, I took the risk and I jumped off the ledge and did all kinds of things in order to start my company. Okay, this is such a fun conversation. Okay, I'm like just trying to get. And I don't into even have head. wine in my hand. Just I know. Think about that. I feel like I need a glass of wine. We should have done this over wine. This is like, oh my god, that sounds so stressful, but also so exciting. Um, so, okay, so at what point did you start becoming? Um, so there's entrepreneurs organization. Tell us about mm-hmm. this. So, and then there's women within that organization and you help run, is it the accelerator program? Tell us more about this. And then also we talked before the mics went on about the percentage of women who are in that million dollar mark and how you got involved in mentoring these women. Yeah. So, um, I've lived in San Diego since gosh, 1996. Um, so I, so I'd like to think that I'm sort of a native, right? There's a lot of us that have been here for some time. Mm. And during that period of time, I had three businesses here in San Diego and my final business being a software business, again, that I didn't know anything about. I went out searching for an organization that could help me not only grow the business, but ultimately sell the business. Mm. So I ran across EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization, and you have to qualify in order to be an EO member. Mm -hmm. So a qualification for EO is a million dollars in revenue. So when you think about the businesses that women start, most women do not start a business and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go make a million dollars. They may start a a lifestyle business as Mm. I describe them. Nothing wrong with a lifestyle business. It's just that that marker to get to a million dollars is really hard to achieve and really hard to obtain. So if I look at the statistics of our owner of our members here in San Diego, we have about 200 members in San Diego and we have 15 women. So it's challenging to find women that have that million dollar business. Mm. Now the accelerator program, the EOA program is for businesses that are under a million dollars. Okay. So under a million dollars. So really at that $250,000 to 999, 99.99, <laughs> where they have yet to hit that million dollar marker. Yeah. And interesting enough, our goal in that program is to make it 50% women and 50% men. So we're really on target to be at 50% women. And we're sitting in the accelerator program 
right around 19 women where we've got close to 35 members. So we're getting to the point where we know that women business owners start their businesses. They're usually under a million dollars. They may stay there um, because I think, I think if I look at my statistics, I think I'm like a five time one percenter. So I guess that makes me a five percenter. I'm not sure. (laughs) But if I look at those statistics, uh, most women business owners do not achieve that one percent of of that million dollars or even further than that. Mm. So I think, you know, my job really, when I looked at my 20s and my 30s and my 40s, and now heading into my 50s, gracefully heading into my 50s, mm-hmm. that my job is to really help other women achieve that marker if that's what they want to achieve. Yeah, I think that's what women want to achieve. But it's interesting. So when you started out, did you have in your head, I mean, if you're actually, I think I already know the answer to this. I mean, if you've liquidated your 401k and put your all in and jumped off the cliff, <laughs> you're going for the million dollars. You weren't doing this for obviously yes. a lifestyle. So you had a mindset. So so what are you seeing as the character, character traits or mindset or what are mm. the qualities that the women who are hitting the million dollar mark, those 15 women of those 200 men, what do they have in common? Have you seen any, any commonalities? Like what can you t- teach us about what it takes? Yeah, so so it's really interesting because if I look at all of the industries that are represented in, in those 15 amazing women, mm. there isn't one commonality of industry. Mm. So uh, you, you're probably going to speak to a few of them. So you know that there's PR and there's, you know, hair extensions and there's HR and compliance and there's accounting and there's there's all kinds of things across the board. Mm-hmm. But if I also look at the characteristic, I yeah. think I would describe the characteristic as grit. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I think about what the grit definition is for me, is that you're willing to do uh, against all odds, with your back against the wall, whatever it takes to be successful. I'm willing to cash out and sell my car in order to start a company. Mm-hmm. There's people that were willing to do multiple jobs in order to sell a company. There's people that started their business as a side hustle, mm. which is what I also did. So I think when you look at it, I think that the first definition that I would say is grit. Mm. And then I think the second definition that I would say, looking at um, all the 15 women that I work with, but then all the other women that are out there, is I would say that there is also a passion to help other women because Mm -hmm. there's so many of us that just didn't have that mentor and just didn't have that in order to grow our business. And there's part of me that thinks if I had a mentor or if I did it differently, maybe it wouldn't have been so painful. And so I think being able to share horror stories versus success stories, success stories are great. That's Mm. awesome. Yeah. But I think there's so much value and, and so much to learn on your horror stories for sure. Totally agree. And I think, you know, so many of the women listening are going to relate. I always wanted a mentor. So I became head of marketing at 27. I never had that mentor and I wanted a female mentor too. I think a lot of us want the female mentor, the somebody who is going to walk, who's walking the path that we know we want to walk, whether they're, you know, a parent, you know, a mom or, you know, just a powerhouse woman who we just admire and want to just kind of follow in that on that path. So for the purposes of today's conversation with you being a mentor, what are the kinds of things that you're instilling, instilling in these women? Like, what are you doing? I mean, 250 to 1 million is still $750,000. They have to grow. Mm -hmm. So that's a Mm -hmm. huge jump. It's not 500 to a million or even 750 to a million. You're going 250 to a million. So what are you teaching them in there? What are some of the lessons that we can learn from you, Kristen, because you've done this, you, you know, the success path. So what, what can you offer today? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think, you know, what, one of the things that I like to be is the mirror. Um, when you own your own business, you're on a desert Island mm-hmm. and you can't necessarily have conversations with your spouse or your girlfriends or your family about growing your business because all of them are going to give you maybe some lessons that they don't really understand what it takes in order to grow your business. So, you know, 
being in that position that I've done it three times and being in the position that, that I am a funny mirror so I can mm-hmm. make, you know, humorous comments about things that most people um, would cringe at. Right? right. So I think there's a lot of things that I'm able to say to somebody like, you know, talking about employees. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm usually pretty quick to hire, pretty quick to fire. And I could be that near when somebody is saying, you know, I don't really know about this B player and I've got this B player and I really think she's going to be an A player. And I can just say, cut your, cut your losses, right? Yeah. So I can come in and be that person that looks at it a little bit differently, yeah. that can look at it through lenses that you don't have blinders on, but can also be that advocate that can really sort of take a step back and say, okay, here's the things you need to do in order to grow. And one of my biggest things that I love to teach people is process. I am a process-driven person and feel that everything can go onto a conveyor belt, regardless if you're a service organization, a software organization, any kind of organization, you can put everything onto a conveyor belt and train anybody at a single moment's notice on your conveyor belt. Mm. So I think for me, it's really about honing in on that process and systems and really looking at how you are handling things uh, um, manually and how you're handling things with software and how you can put those things together in order to achieve positive results and to really get the most productivity, not only out of yourself, but also out of your employees. So I think the number one thing that I love to teach people is systems. Mm, so important. As sexy as that is. No, so I think sexy. it's essential. And, and, and I think sometimes people don't want to give up control because they're afraid people aren't going to do it as well as them. So do you see that as a challenge that some of the women face? So Hiring. I love to use, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love to use this term, delegate and elevate. If you're going to hire employees, one of your responsibilities as a CEO or owner or founder of your company is to delegate and elevate. Your employees are not going to stay with you forever. And your job is really to help them achieve their next level of their life also. Mm. So I always talk to CEOs about they're never going to do it like you. And you've got to come up with what percentage of happiness that they're able to achieve in order for you to feel comfortable with it. Is it, can they achieve this task at 60% or 70% or 80%? And being a college athlete as well as a high school athlete, Mm. you know, coaches always say to you, go out there and give 110%. Mm. There's never any time that you're always giving 110%. There are days that you're giving 100 and there are days that you're giving 40. So I'm always comfortable at an 80% average, right? So my employees, if I can delegate them and elevate them to do a task that frees me up 80% more of my time, Mm. then that's a win-win for me. So I think that's always a thing that people talk about when it comes to control. And it's not necessarily about control. It's about how you communicate in order to delegate and elevate. Because if you don't have a process, then there's no control, right? There's no control issue. If you have a process, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Then you put initials or who does it. And therefore, everybody knows the path. And you've given employees, as well as yourself, the flight path to be productive. And that's why I think when you back up to delegate and elevate, it comes with a system. And if you're not willing to do that, then really you should just be a company of one because I think your job as a CEO is to help people achieve their goals. I love that so much. It's And it's so true. And again, that kind of aligns with the systems. Like you said, it's all part of the process. Kristen, you talked about failure as being so important. Can you share some lessons learned from your failures along the way? Like, what can you share in regard to that? Because, you know, that's how you grow. So what, what, yeah. 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 So I think one of the biggest lessons I learned was um, involvement in the business, right? So I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. And so I think when you're looking at growing a business or starting a business, I think you've got to be very clear of what your strengths and weaknesses are. I know I'm great at sales. I love sales. 
I love to take really complex things and make them really easy. Mm. Hell, HR and compliance and the ACA, come on, those are really complex (laughs) things that we've boiled down and made them really easy. Mm. So I love that. But I'm not necessarily good at accounting and I'm not necessarily good at, you know, some of the other, you know, logistics that come with being a controller in the Mm. company. So for me, when I looked at my strengths and my weaknesses, I knew immediately what I had to hire in order for us to grow. And that was a controller, as well as a person who runs our operations, who has a strong background in accounting. So early on in my career, I possibly would have said, and I possibly did say Mm -hmm. that I could do it all. Mm -hmm. And I think not being able to recognize that as a, as a weakness or not necessarily just not a strength or or something that you don't love to do. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm really fluid with, "Ah, I don't do that, or I'm not really good at that, or I don't, I'm not, I'm not at my optimal productivity doing Mm -hmm. that particular task. And now that I'm clear about that, I think I'm clear about what it is that I'm really good at. So I stay in my swim lane, right? So my Mm -hmm. swim lane is sales and speaking and and technology. Those are my three swim lanes. Mm. I don't come out of my swim lane. I don't sign any checks. I don't do any payroll. I don't do any of those type of things. And I think that's another factor that a lot of um, young business owners make is that they feel like they have to hold on to all of those tasks. But again, if you're delegating and elevating and you know the process and you understand the process, you're never out of the loop. So therefore, you're able to really understand what your strength is And I always tell people, whatever you hate to do or what you're not good at, that should be the first position you hire for. Yeah. I mean, you talked about having to liquidate your 401k and you like you went all in. And so many people Mm -hmm. do do that. But then now it makes me think about where do you allocate those resources? And from what I'm hearing from you, you put it towards those areas to some degree. But what if funds are tight? How do you, mm. how do you manage that? That's kind of a tricky dance too, because you may know you need it, but maybe there's no money or you're trying to raise funds. Did you, did you raise funds or were you self-funded? No, I self-funded all for wow, my Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> so you went all yeah. in and you got profitable quick. Mm-hmm. I yeah. did. Yeah. So, so I self-funded all three of the businesses and I, and I think when money is tight, which it was always tight also. So, so don't, you know, don't, don't think that it was never tight. I mean, there right. was plenty of times where, you know, I had to put payroll on credit cards and there was mm. plenty of times where I did have to go and take a part-time job in order to pay everybody else but mm. me. So I think, you know, when you look at those type of things, um, you have to look at what type of position you need in order to grow your business. Now, there's great tools out there now with, you know, virtual assistants mm-hmm. and halftime virtual assistants and things along those lines. So what, what I tell people is until you're ready to hire, the thing that you should be working on the most is your process so that when somebody walks in the door, mm-hmm. you can hand them what it is that you need them to do. Mm-hmm. Because where people fail is that they have somebody walk in the door and they're not prepared for that person. They don't have a job description. They don't have the KPIs that they're looking for for this person to achieve, but also be product, have productivity as well as accelerate. They're, they're not necessarily looking for the next path for this person, and they're not necessarily telling this person what to do when they walk in the door. So those would be the four things that I would say, you know, get, get those things done while money is tight. And, mm-hmm. but there's virtual assistants, there's interns, there's students. I mean, I did an internship, uh, gosh, all four years in college and I was horrible at making coffee, but I made coffee and I was horrible at filing and I filed. And so there was tons of things that I actually had to do mm-hmm. and they taught me some really valuable life lessons, mm-hmm. but there's lots of people out there that are looking for those type of life lessons. That's so true. Um, just to find what's KPI. Yeah, so key performance indicators. Okay. And that's really how you want to look at how your employees are not only achieving their goals, but exceeding their goals or not exceeding their goals. So when you talk to people that are hiring employees, I always say to them, do you know what this employee needs to do? And they'll say, hmm, yeah. And I'll say, okay, what are their top five things that this person needs to do? So for example, we are an HR and technology company, right? Mm-hmm. So human resources and technology company. Mm-hmm. 
but we have an entire service team behind technology. Mm -hmm. We know that people really want some type of human touches. So we have clients that really want to do it self-service, but we have clients that really want to use our folks, which is awesome. So we've got some service people that their key performance indicator is to be proactive. So they proactively reach out email or phone call 20 or 30 emails a day. Mm. So when I say to a business owner, how do you know if that person has achieved that? How are you tracking those type of things? You have to build in a way that employees can show you their productivity Mm -hmm. or lack of productivity so that you can make an educated decision about that particular person or that particular position. Mm -hmm. And key performance indicators are really one of those items that an employee should have, three to five of them that they should have so they know their career path and their success path with your in your business and with your company. Got it. No, that's helpful. So did you ever hire a coach or was it all through EO that you got your, your training and mentorship? Yeah, I didn't ever hire a coach. It was all through EO mm-hmm. uh, where I got, you know, peer-to-peer mentorship mm-hmm. and you know, there's some people in there that have had, you know, great businesses and very successful businesses and sold their businesses for seven and eight figures. Mm. So I wanted to, you know, run in, in that same category. And I really wanted to be the small fish in a big pond. Yeah. And I really wanted to learn from everybody else. And so for me, it was really about learning from them and learning from my mistakes yeah. and then saying, well, it was probably, it was probably my time to be a mentor and it was knocking on my door. So I, um, I took the jump and decided to do a mentor training where I flew to Chicago mm. to learn how to be a mentor uh, through EO. And, and uh, they trained us how to be a mentor. And I came back and I said, okay, I'm ready to be a mentor. And my first mentee was Anna Crow. Okay. Who's so, coming on the show. Everyone will hear her soon enough. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I, I got her pretty early in her career uh-huh. um, and she was in the accelerator program. So under a million dollars. And uh, my, my uh, one thing is I got to help her uh, grow her business to over a million dollars. And now she's in EO and sitting at over a million dollars and three locations and 18 employees. And it's just been really fun to watch. And she's only supposed to have me as a mentor for a year, but she hasn't let me go yet. So. <laughs> I wouldn't let you go. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, you'll hear her story and her story is amazing. And, and so it's just been really fun to help her and watch her grow. It's kind of like that mama bear, that proud mama wow. bear moment when you actually see and help um, and help them uh, achieve with their employees too. So not only am I helping her, but I'm helping multiple women that she employs too. So it's been really a lot of fun to see. It's cool. And my my gut is telling me you didn't need the training. I know you were probably required to take it, but you already knew <laughs> was, how to do yeah. it. Yes. So you would have still helped her get there without the training, but that's very cool. <laughs> um, gosh, everyone's going to be like, how can I have Kristen work with me? Maybe that's your next gig, Kristen. I'm thinking maybe that's yeah. your next gig because you're so passionate about it. And that's what I meant when I said you're unique too. It's not that women don't support women, but the way that you do it is, I think it's next level. I mean, you did a whole day on self-care because you heard these 15 women or 20, you know, the between Accelerator and the million dollar, the women in the million dollar mark talking about needing more self-care. And so you put a whole, actually it was more of a weekend, right? Because they had spa treatments yep. and yoga yep. and education. And and I was just really impressed with, with that. And I don't think that there's many rooms where these conversations are happening, either the support. And I did see that it was a very supportive group and, and women who were very open to learning. Um, it was mm-hmm. very clear that they were just open. And um, I'm sure that's partially why they're so successful. They don't just assume that they know everything, right? They're just going in there and then discerning what works for them. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, Kristen, that men and women do business differently. What are you seeing Mm -hmm. as the ways that we men and women do business differently? Yeah. You know, I I always like to equate it back to this being an athlete, men and women play sports differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Men and women think differently. So it's not that, you know, one's different than the other. It's just, we, we do business differently. Mm -hmm. So when I think about, 
you know, who I want to hire and I think about, you know, where I want to go and what I want to do. I want to be around other supportive women. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, I think in, in an environment like mine where I've been in a male dominated career all my life, Mm -hmm. it's been great to have male perspective and, and I certainly respect it and enjoy it and appreciate it. And sometimes argue and debate it, (laughs) but, but it's been really nice to have um, conversations, which I feel have really only taken place in about the last five years where women can sit in a room and have those business conversations. Mm -hmm. My my husband always laughs at me because whenever I get around my EO friends or my EOA girlfriends, all we do is sit around and talk about business. And he just sort of giggles because he's like, gosh, you know, most women probably don't have this luxury and Mm -hmm. most women don't really, you know, sit around and talk about business all day long. Mm -hmm. And this is what you guys do and you love it. So I think, I think there's a dynamic with, you know, the women that have the lifestyle business, which again, there's, there's no shame or blame or game or any of that. And they want to get to their, their kid's school and they want to set their own hours and they want to take their kids to school. I think that's awesome. There's so many of those businesses out there to support women, right? There's the cabbies of the world and there's the candles of the world and the makeups of the world. I love all of those. Mm -hmm. I think those are great. And those are great businesses. When is that mark, multi-level marketing when you said that? Is yeah, that MLM? Okay, yeah, I'm just trying to concern. Yeah, yeah. And for me, and for me, it's still a business. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not a, a an active business. I think there's a lot of um, shame out there and blame out there that, that people feel that that's not a true active business. Mm-hmm. And if you're working something and getting customers and you're getting paid, that to me is a business. Yeah. So I think you've got, you know, that level and then you've got, you know, women who are starting their businesses out in that 250 to a million dollars that are balancing everything also that yep. have balanced the kids and the yep. travel and everything else. And I think what really comes into play when you talked about the self-care was I feel that we put ourselves last mm-hmm. all the time, Always. regardless if you're a mom not a mom, an aunt, a sister, a friend, whatever you are, you are always putting yourself last. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to give tools to other people to start thinking about putting ourselves first, which Mm -hmm. is a big jump from going from last to first. I'll even take fifth or maybe sixth, (laughs) but maybe not last, right? So I think when, when I talk to other women about, you know, their trajectories of their businesses, everybody's always putting themselves last, including me. And so one of the things that I'm focused on for 2020, which I learned from our self-care, is that I really need to look at, on a monthly basis, my body, mind, and spirit, Mm -hmm. and really focus on what have I done this month for my body, what have I done this month for my mind, and what have I done this month for my spirit. And what I got out of our seminar was that I really wasn't having enough with my spirit. Mm. So I've really taken an active approach now that I am planning my body, my mind, and my spirit every single month and having those planned out in advance. And they are non-cancelable events and I prepay for them. Nice. Non-negotiable and I prepay for them so that I do know that they are paid for in advance. Nice. And therefore I will walk in to whatever spirit that is calling or whatever body or mind um, activity. But I think it's really important for women to embrace that. Awesome. Love it. And I'm so happy you just said that so other people can hear that. It's like giving each other permission that that's okay. Not only is it okay, it's essential. essential for our success and our well-being. So I have a quick little story. So we're going to this big meeting. I've got this big meeting in January and there's three women that will be there. Mm -hmm. Right. And there'll be 45 guys and three women. Okay. So I send it, I send an email to the two other women and the men are golfing one day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I send an email to the two other women and I say, here is what I am going to do while the men are golfing. And I am doing a scrub, a rub, a wrap, and a facial (laughs) at the beautiful Ritz-Carlton Spa. And I have three appointments scheduled from 10 o'clock till two, right? Yes. The one one gal says, I need to work during that time. Mm. The other gal says, I think I'm going to get on a plane and get back home earlier during that time. Oh, 
So I See. challenged them both yep. to come for one hour yep. because what they just did was put everybody else 100%. ahead of themselves. Including their businesses. Absolutely. Including Good their for business. you, Kristen. I love that you do that. I love that you did that. And then they'll come for that hour and they'll realize, oh, this is actually really nice and I really needed this. And just the connecting with the other women is like soul fuel. That's what I call it. What yep. It's soul fuel. Women need that so much. I. That's a great story. Kristen, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to leave the women listening with today around this conversation? Mm, so I think you've alluded to all of the importance of your tribe. And so I would probably have a request and my request is go find your own tribe, right? Mm. So spend time with women that you admire, spend time with women that are badasses, spend time with women that scare you, Mm. spend time with women that you have nothing in common with, but you can learn something with. So Mm. I think one of the things that um, I really love to look at is being an includer. I include tons of people and I love to include people regardless of what walks of life they come from, but it's really made a difference in my life and the way that I do my business. So I think for me, I would have a call to action for your listeners. Mm. And the call to action is doing one thing like that, that scares you that, you know, go out and, and network and go out and have a conversation with other peer women. There's lots of peer women out there that own their own businesses at multiple stages of their life and ask them the question, you know, what was the one thing that you did wrong? Or ask them the question of what was your hardest lesson? But really start engaging other women so that you can build your own tribe. I've got a great tribe. You're, mm. You've talked to a lot of my tribe mm-hmm. members. I love your tribe. Um, and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm continuing to grow my tribe because I think it's important to stay in a horseshoe environment mm. and not a circle environment. Ooh, a circle is too close and a horseshoe is open. You can continue to add people into a horseshoe versus a circle. So I think for me, it's all about adding more people to the tribe that can learn and benefit and really want to be in an environment of other positive and proactive women. So good. So good. Um, Kristen, are there any books, resources, conferences, things that either you've taken in Mm. that you think are worth sharing? Well, my new book's coming out in January, so I'll have to come back on and talk about my book. (laughs) Kristen, you didn't tell me that. Yes, you're coming back on to talk about what's your book. My book is called Notivation. Notivation. How to use no to make your first million dollars. Because everybody told me no in my life. So I'm here to tell my story. And uh, it's a great story to start 2020 off with. And so we'll we'll probably have to talk about that in another podcast. Oh in another goodness. When does it uh, come time. out? But yeah, it's, com- it's coming out in January, the second week in January. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. All right. You'll have to come back on. This will be part two with Kristen and everyone will be like so excited because you've given so much value today. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, and it's a workbook too. And I wanted it to is. make Process. it a, a, a purse size workbook so you can slide into your purse and you can do things while you're waiting for your kids, or you can do things in between conference calls, or if you made it to the sales meeting in a half hour in advance or traffic was good or, So I made it a purse-sized book that people can pull out of their purse at any time and be able to answer some of the questions. So it is a workbook environment, and it's really helping women achieve that million-dollar marker. So how do you know in order to achieve it? Love it. Well, everyone's going to want a copy of that. So that's great. Um, You're definitely coming back on to talk about that book. (laughs) And I can't wait to read it. That's that's phenomenal. Congrats on that. Um, Okay. So, Kristen, how do you define success? Ooh, the lives you touch. Mm, You're so good. That's simple. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it's that simple. For me, it's about the people and the lives that I've touched and not necessarily about what's in the bank account because I can always grow that sucker again. Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can. Um, That's great. Um, So, do you have any morning or evening routines that help foster your success? You talked about Mm. now focusing now on mind, body, spirit. um, But what do you do on it on a daily basis? I am very scheduled. So um, everything is on my calendar, Mm -hmm. including working out 
eating because I forget to eat. That's a lot of us do, <laughs> That's um, true, including That's true. date nights. Yeah, yeah. The, the, my my husband's really great about date nights. Mm. We we met on a Tuesday, oh. um, and he tries to take me to dinner every time I'm in town on a Tuesday to That's celebrate so what we call our week anniversary. Oh, that's so very we go sweet. out on our week anniversary on a Tuesday and have dinner together. So I think, it, you know, having time management skills is one of the things that my parents instilled in me really early on. Um, I had multiple learning disabilities going through school. And mm. so I learned early on how to study and how to have tutors because I was a um, student that needed the extra help mm. and extra support in every single subject. So for you're me, kidding. So you'd never, was, I mean, it, amazing. No. <laughs> wow. Okay. For, for me, it was all about balance and all about time management. So I am a stickler to time management and I am a sort of a stickler to email management also, because I think email gets out of control, which it's just about time management with your email. So I think for me, the routine is I am uh, you know, up every morning at 4.30, I'm at the gym at 5, I'm in the office by 6.30, between 6.30 and quarter 7, depending upon if I have to wash my hair or not. Yeah. It really depends yeah. about the hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I'm scheduled from there. So everything has its own proper time and time zone attached to it. So I think for me, it's all about being on that time zone and that schedule. Love that. And do you use a ele- electronic calendar or do you use paper? <sighs> Always curious about yeah, systems. I use, I, yeah, I use both. So I have a uh, paper calendar on my desk mm-hmm. that has six different topics for the week. So all the six different topics that I'm working on throughout the week, and then I'm able to check those off. And then, of course, for appointments, I use my Outlook calendar and, then of course, email. But when I'm project-oriented and project-based, one of the other things that I do in my day is I schedule actual project time where I'm shut off from the phones, I'm shut off from email, and I truly focus on the six or seven projects Mm -hmm. that I'm working on that are on my desk with timelines and deliverables for those projects. So I schedule that project time. So I'm not always in my email Mm -hmm. and it's not always pinging me. I'm in the email in the morning and I'm in the email in the afternoon. And then during the other times, I'm in my project time or I'm working on other things in in the business or on the business, depending upon what part of those projects I'm working on. Amazing. Um, And do you teach your mentees this stuff? I do. Yeah. yeah. I figured. Yeah. Interesting. I give them all my paper calendar. I give them all my email to do, uh, which are basically four D's, right? So do delegate, delete, and do later. Mm. <laughs> so, so I basically walk them through that. And then I walk them through how to really establish those key performance indicators for employees and really put them on the path to success. So those are the things that I spend time with my mentees on. Love this. Love it. Love it. Uh, time management is everything. That's so good. Um, it really is. Yes. Um, Kristen, what do you think your 80-year-old self would tell you about living a good life? Ooh, I think she would say um, we traveled to a ton of places. We saw a bunch of sites that most people in their lives will never see. Mm. Um, we affected and affected (laughs) Mm -hmm. lots of people and we made an impact somewhere. Oh, it's beautiful. Love, love that. Okay. Can you please leave? Oh, 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 and, and oh, by the way, my 80 year old self would also say, and boy, your boobs are still looking good. (laughs) There you go. Because something's got to be looking good on my body at 80, and I'm going to go with my boobs. Oh, my God. So there you go. I love it. Oh, my God. You're so fun. Um, Kristen, can you, please, can you please leave the women listening with your three best tips for living a good life? Ooh, three best tips for living a good life. Laughter. Mm-hmm. La- laughter is the key to everything for Mm -hmm. me. Um, Even when you want to cry, it's all about being able to laugh at it and being able to laugh at yourself. Uh, I'm I'm the first to tell you I can make fun of myself. I can laugh at myself. 
but I have a lot of fun with myself too. Mm, So I think laughter is number one. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two for me is travel. Mm. I love to see things and be with other people in other environments, um, regardless if they want me there or not. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I just, for me, that travel is, is my buzz. And then finally, impact. Um, so how you're going to make an impact, how are you going to leave an impact, um, what kind of impact you're going to make, good, bad, positive, negative, what, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, but impact. And so really embracing when you're ready to make an impact. I wasn't ready to make an impact in my 20s. I, I didn't feel like I had much to say in my 20s. Mm-hmm. I hadn't learned the lessons yet. Yeah. And in my 30s, I was just a hustler, right? Yeah. I mean, I worked and did and, and didn't necessarily have the time to make an impact. But then when I hit my 40s, um, something changed, mm-hmm. right? So something said to me, it's, it's now your time. And I fought it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then I started embracing it. So I, I'm excited for whatever my 50s are going to bring and whatever it's going to say. But I think every generation you've got something to do for an impact. So in my 20s, I made some kind of impact. In my 30s, I made a financial impact. Mm-hmm. Um, in my 20s, I made life lessons impact. Mm-hmm. And in my 40s, it's all about giving back. So I think that for me was the impact that you make per generation. Beautiful. So beautiful. And you talked about going into your 50s with grace. And I think that was a beautiful word because for sure, there's such grace in everything you've shared today. So thank you. Um, Where can I direct people to learn more about you and your work and actually your book? You are going to have to come back. So for sure on that. But um, where can I direct people, Kristen? Well, I think, you know, my LinkedIn page is, is probably the best to get in touch with me. So it's Dr. Kristen Kale. And Kristen is with two eyes, as I like to say, I'm a 10 and not a 10. So it's Kristen, <laughs> K-R-I-S-T-I-N, and then kale like the vegetable, even though the H in kale is silent. So it's K-A-H-L-E. And then we will have another podcast about where to go for my book and where to go for my um, landing page for the book and even talking about the nine nuggets that I have in my book, which I'll be excited to share for sure. Cannot wait. And I think there needs to be an event connected to that book. I'm seeing <laughs> well, there it. there always needs to be an event. Come on. There's always <laughs> With spa treatments. That's great. Um, <laughs> well, yes, of course, with spa treatments. <laughs> of course. Um, you've shared such great wisdom today. So grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I really hope that you walked away with some new information or inspiration that you can put into effect in your life. All of the show notes can be found over at thegoodlifecoach.com. And if you know of someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please do take a second to share it. Now, I do have one request. If you've gained any value from the show, from any of the episodes, would you be so kind to head to your favorite podcast player, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode, but then take a second to rate and review the show. It actually helps other women find it. And that is my intention for 2020. And it would mean the world to me. So thanks again for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.